Hi, my name is Colin Cook, and you're listening to a public podcast. If you want more information about anything going on here at Public Church, visit our website, publicchurch.com. Thanks for listening. Man, what a great start to our gathering. Is Thinking about where we're going today, I thought about my childhood. I don't know if you ever think about how you were growing up, or maybe you're still growing up. But when I was growing up, I realized that um, I've developed a reputation of being just a, a nice guy. A really nice guy. And this isn't great if you're you know, playing outside linebacker on your high school football team, but we weren't very good. So anyway, um, but this, this served me well in some ways because, you know, adults really like me. And so like for our students, just know that manners go a long way. Like being able to say, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, thank you. Like, please, like, and that'll just take you a long, long way with adults. And so adults really like me. But because I was just this nice guy, I realized I had an inability to really have tough conversations. And I think some of you may be able to relate to this. And so when I need to hold somebody accountable or when I need to have a tough conversation, I just, I didn't want to have it. And if I did have it, then I would often just be really nice about it and kind of hint around like, hey, you know, uh, just wanted to mention this thing to you. And like, it's not that big a deal, it really is a big deal, but I just want to tell you it's a big deal. And, you know, could we maybe just, uh, you know, talk about it. Anybody relate to this? Is anybody with me? Some of you like want to throw up because you're so opposite of me. You're like, this is disgusting. Just talk to somebody. You know, I've already yelled at them by the time your illustration was over. But, but I mean, we're wired differently. But I found this inability to really have tough conversations. And so honestly, usually I wouldn't even get to that point where I could kind of heme haw around and, uh, da, da, and be super nice about everything. And it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. But just want to talk about this. Like, I wouldn't even get to that point. And part of the problem was that as I looked at a tough conversation, I thought there were two alternatives. One, we either have the conversation, we face the issue, and I lose the relationship because I just have to come guns blazing, or I just kind of avoid it and hope it goes away just for the sake of the relationship. It seemed like there were only two alternatives for me. And look, there were times that I was able to navigate them successfully. Corey Arp, who's playing drums today, he was a tremendous influence in my life of really coaching me up and getting me ready to have some conversations that through Corey's influence and Jesus's empowerment, I was able to navigate those well. But that was the exception, really more than the rule. And then I read this book called Crucial Conversations, a New York Times bestseller that I highly recommend. And I came across this quote that really changed me. It said, 25 years of research in 17 different organizations has taught us that individuals who are the most influential, who can get things done, and at the same time build on relationships are those who can master crucial conversations. And I read this, and here's what clicked. I knew I had the gift of leadership, and I realized that I was the lid to my own ability to lead. I was the lid to my own potential because of my really inability to navigate tough conversations. And so when I read this, I mean, come on, who can argue with 25 years of research in 17 different organizations? I'm like, I'm in. And I just consumed this book because at that point it was a light bulb moment for me. And what I realized is that when it comes to tough conversations, there is a third option. You know, a whole lot of us think, okay, I either come in guns blazing and I'll ruin the relationship, but I do address the issue, or I just kind of skirt around it and avoid it and maintain the relationship. No, there is a third option. This research proved it. There's a way to get things done and still build on the relationship. And so I read this book, Jesus Really Began a Work in Me. 
where he began to teach me what it means to navigate these situations. And that work continued last summer in June of last year. I was speaking at an FCA camp. And on one of the last days, the leaders were just sharing stories of what Jesus had done in their life. And this young lady named Bree was sharing, and she was amazing and really engaging. And I was, I was locked in. And then she said something that just hit me. And she said this. It'll be on the screen. She said, don't walk around to the back door when the front door is unlocked. And she was talking about having conversations. Don't walk around to the back door when the front door is unlocked. And I'm listening to her, and I'm like, come on, somebody stand up and shout. I'm about to do a lab. Like, preach it, Brie. Like, you're going. Let's come on. I mean, this was just like, boom. It hit me because for a whole lot of my life, what I've done is I've meandered around to the back door. And a lot of us have this issue. Like, like we could walk up to the front door and knock on it, and it's unlocked, and they let us in, and we come in and have the conversation that we need to have. But if you're like me, you kind of meander around the back door, and if you finally get there, which, by the way, a lot of times we never get there, and it's just the, the, the issue's so far removed that's like, well, I'm not even going to address it. But if we finally get to the back door, then we say hints, like some of you have probably said this loudly in the back of your house, I'm about to clean the bathroom. The toilet cleaner's setting out on the counter. And you don't have the courage to just go, hey, would you please help me? But instead, we're just like hinting. Or worse, we get passive aggressive where we're like, I can't believe the restrooms got so dirty around here. At least at work, I have some help. All the time loud. And then, you know, ladies, you may get into this. Sally's husband helps her clean the bathrooms. Or men, you might say, John's wife gets off work and cleans the bathrooms. Does that really help your relationship? I mean, we've all done it. Or maybe it's to your roommate and you just leave dirty notes to your roommate or whatever it is. But we've all exhibited these hints or these passive aggressive behaviors. Or maybe worse yet, what it is is we kind of meander around to the back door until there's like 15 different issues. And then we just like shove it open and just like explode on them, right? Or there's some of you in here like, back door? All I do is I'm not, the back door's not an option for me, but so I'm not also, I'm not going to knock on the front door. I'm just going to walk up and kick it in, and I'm going to load my stuff unfiltered, and you just got to deal with it. I don't care what the relationship happens. You're going to deal with my stuff. Anybody like that? You can actually point at them because they would probably point at you if it was up to them. So it's not going to offend them. I mean, that's just their style. It's fine. But the point is, no matter how we're wired, we have this inability to have the type of conversations that this series is all about, which is called front door conversations. Conversations where we're able to walk to the front door, not meander the back door, walk to the front door, not kick it in, but knock on it, let somebody open it for us, and we can walk in and address the issue and simultaneously build the relationship. This really is possible for us. And so what we want to do for the next four weeks is we want to talk about what does it mean for us to have these front door conversations? And look, today, we're actually not even going to get to the front door. And today, we're also not going to talk about when to have the conversation and when not to. Because here's where we're at today. We're sitting at home with our phone out, thinking about texting to set up the meeting and going, okay, what am I going to say? I know I need to send this. Today, we're actually sitting at dinner with our friends, 
venting and railing and, oh, man, he's terrible, and I can't believe he does this, and we're just going on and on. All the while, we know the conversation we have and should be a whole lot different with the person. And our friends are going, we're going to have the same conversation next week unless you address it. Today, we're sitting in our office going, I've got to walk down the hall. I know she's in there. I've just, I've got to have, okay, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? So we're not going to get to the front door today. We'll get there next week. But today we're talking about the conversations that we know we need to have. And our starting point is simply this question. What is the goal? See, for us, defining the win is where we must begin. Defining the win is where we must begin. Because for a lot of us, the win that we have when it comes to conflict is just getting my way. And really, if we're honest, it's trying to make you look stupid and destroy you so that I'm going to get my way next time too, because you're not even going to argue with me. Like, like we try to act like we've been to law school and maybe you have been to law school and that really helps you, but you put on this front and like everything your spouse or your roommate or your boss says, you're just going to like tear down and argue against them. And I'm just wondering if you do that to your spouse, is that really helping your marriage? If you do that to the roommate, why do you think you've had five roommates in the last five months? I'm just saying, just wondering, asking the question. And if you publicly humiliate your boss, do you really think your boss is then going to promote you? Like, is this the best win that we could have when it comes to conflict? So before we can even get to the front door, as we're sitting here today, thinking about the conversations we know we need to have, defining the win is where we must begin. And thankfully, thankfully, Jesus prays a prayer. And in that prayer, he's going to give us the win. So if you have your Bibles, your Bible app, you can be in John chapter 17. And we're going to see what this win is. But as you're going there, before you get there, um, you may be asking this question. I think it's a really good question to ask, which is why this series and why at this time? And so to answer that question, what I want to do is just walk through the front door and let you know that our elder team had a meeting and I, I came to them and said, look, here's where we're at as a church. Like, I believe that we have a lot of people with the inability to have tough conversations. And because of that, there's disunity and division that's growing. And it's just a little, you know, crack here and a little crack here. I compared it to the, the tremors that happen before there's a big earthquake. What we do is a lot of times we just ignore the tremors and then we're like, the big earthquake comes like, oh, we should have seen it coming. So the challenge for us, public church, is to recognize that our enemy, and look, if you don't follow Jesus, our enemy is the devil, and he's real, and he wants nothing more than to divide us, one family, one group, one little fissure at a time, so that we lose our effectiveness. And if we don't address the tremors, the earthquake is coming. As we thought about it, uh, we truly believe, as an elder team, that a whole lot of us, it's not that we're sitting here going, oh yeah, I'm not gonna talk to him because I hope that he leaves or hope that this gets ruined. Or, you know, a lot of us don't have bad intentions. A whole lot of us simply don't know how to do this. We haven't read a book called Crucial Conversations. You know, for, for Whitney and me, Rhonda Weeks was a mentor to Whitney and she's invested in my life a lot. And she has literally given us tools that have helped me move away from the nice guy and actually be able to navigate tough conversations in a way that addresses the issue and builds the relationship. But some of you don't have a Rhonda Weeks in your life. Your, your parents didn't model it. You've not had leaders that have taken the time to give you some tools and some skill sets. So what we want to do through the series 
is we want to walk through, man, how do we do this? Like, how do we fight against the divisions that the enemy is trying to bring among us so we can continue to fulfill the vision that Jesus has for us? And look, if you don't follow Jesus, you may be wondering, well, what's in this for me? Well, look, you may not believe the Bible. You may not believe me. But again, it's pretty hard to argue with 25 years and 17 different organizations worth of research. And here's what the reality is. For all of us, if we don't learn how to navigate tough conversations, we are putting a lid on our own growth, a lid on our own development, a lid on us reaching our potential. But when we understand how to have front door conversations, suddenly we have really positioned ourselves to grow in our professional relationships, to grow in our personal relationships, really to move forward in every single area of our lives. So this matters immensely for all of us whether we follow Jesus or not. And that's why I'm so happy that Jesus prayed this prayer and that in this prayer, he gives us the win for front door conversations. And he begins this prayer, or where we're starting is in verse 20. And he starts out by letting us know who he's praying for. And this is quite interesting. He says this in verse 20. I'm praying not only for these disciples who are with him, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. So audience participation, who is Jesus praying for here? Us. Is that not amazing? Like I've literally prayed that the Holy Spirit would just blow our minds by the realization that Jesus, when he was here on earth, he prayed for us. And look, if you don't follow Jesus, you're like, well, he didn't pray for me. Well, we're praying that one day you do follow him. And that means he prayed for you as well. Like Jesus prayed for us. That is amazing. And in his prayer for us, he's going to give us the win. The next verse says, I pray that they will all be, what's that word? One. Just as you and I are, again, one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. Here's the win. We emerge from front door conversations more unified than ever. This is the win that Jesus gives us. He says, I'm praying that they may be one, even as you and I, Father, are one. So the win for us is that we emerge from front door conversations more unified than ever. And thankfully, Jesus doesn't just say, hey, unity's the goal. He gives us a pattern for unity. He says, hey, listen, here's the pattern. My relationship with the Father. So if we look at Jesus and the Father, then we can see what unity should look like in our lives. So first off, what is unity not? Unity is not being best friends. Well, the reality is, research shows this, we're only going to have a certain number of best friends. So if you engage in a front door conversation with somebody, you don't have to walk out and all of a sudden have slumber parties and Snapchat each other and, you know, you know, Instagram story each other and just hang out all the time and be BFFs, you know, and carve your name in the wood together. I mean, you don't have to do that, okay? You don't have to be best friends. Unity is not being yes people. It's not being somebody who just agrees with every single thing. And unity is not avoiding tough conversations. It doesn't mean that we walk around to the back door. Unity is having a front door conversation. So unity for our purpose today is that we come together to point people to Jesus. 
unity. We come together to point people to Jesus. And because Jesus said the pattern is his relationship with the Father, what we're going to do as we dig into this a little bit more is we're simply going to look at how Jesus and the Father interacted. So unity, how do we come together? It means that we are moving in the same direction. Earlier in John chapter 14, Jesus says that he only does what the Father wants. And that's not just one isolated statement that's pretty clear throughout his whole time on earth. See, Jesus didn't have this separate agenda, and then the Father wanted this, and he wanted this. No, no. They were moving in the same direction. So if we're going to be unified, we're coming together for this direction, to point people to Jesus. Unity also means that we like each other. Now, that doesn't mean that every single time you're around somebody, you're going to be like, man, that was awesome. They're just the greatest thing ever. No, no, no. That's not what it means. But the overall pattern is that you like each other. The reality is if every time somebody walks through the door, and look, we've all been there. If every time they walk through the door, I'm like, oh, I was praying traffic would slow them up, you know. Nothing bad, just maybe they couldn't make it, you know. You know, just look, if, if we're like, oh, every time they walk in, are we really living in unity? Because Jesus continually broke away to spend time with the Father. He enjoyed time with the Father. So if he's the pattern, then we have to at least not avoid or not, not be frustrated when people walk in. We have to like being around them. And then I think this is the hardest aspect of Jesus's pattern is that we work to develop each other's ideas to their full potential. So Jesus is an incredible example of this. Before the cross, he's praying to his father and he prays this, Father, is there any other way? Like, like, Father, is there any way besides the cross? And the Father says, no. And, and Jesus, his prayer at the end is, and not my will, but your will. And Jesus leaves the garden, and he executes the Father's will to the fullest degree. No hesitation. Which is the opposite of what we usually do, isn't it? So we're in a meeting. Maybe it's at work, maybe it's just at home, and like, your idea is chosen over mine. So what am I going to do? Honestly, I'm going to kind of like half tell it and kind of slightly hope that we sabotage your idea and it doesn't work that well. So the next time, guess whose idea gets picked? Ooh, mine. We've done this, haven't we? Or you let your spouse choose, and you go with your spouse's bad idea because you know that it's a bad idea, and you're like, oh, next time, guess what will happen? We'll choose my idea because I'm setting you up for Failure. That's not unity. That's not what Jesus did. Unity means that when we're in a meeting and your idea gets chosen over mine, that suddenly I take all of my God-given talents, gifts, and abilities, and I throw them into your idea to make it the best it could possibly be because we're moving in the same direction. We've come together to point people to Jesus. And finally, Jesus lets us know that not only is the pattern that he is in the Father and the Father is in him, but that we are in them. In other words, this type of unity we're talking about, the ability to emerge from front door conversations more unified than ever is only possible if we're Jesus followers. So look, if you don't follow Jesus, there is a ton for you to apply in this series. And please keep coming back, keep applying it, but know there's a limit to how far you can go into this unity until you come to the point where you surrender to Jesus. Because our foundation, our starting point for unity is that first off, just like we sang at the beginning of the gathering, that we are children of God. Not by anything we did, but because Jesus died on the cross and rose again. Come on, Jesus followers, we're family. 
And here's what we forget. We forget passages like Ephesians chapter four. In Ephesians chapter four, verse four, it lists all the things we have in common. We get so focused on our differences that we forget about the fact that it says, for there is one body, one spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. That's seven ones. And guess what? That's the most important things. We lose sight of the seven ones that we're unified about, and we get focused on the peripheral that we're divided about, and we miss out on unity. And Jesus is saying, look, we got way more in common than we have different. So let's focus on that because we are family, and our unity begins in our identity as Jesus followers. And then if we go to verse 22, it says, I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. Again, that same idea that that we might be one just as Jesus and the Father are one. But interestingly, he says, I have given them the glory. Now, there's a lot of possibilities of what exactly glory could mean, but, but here's one for sure meaning. It could mean more than just this, is that that means that when we follow Jesus, he puts his Holy Spirit inside of us. In other words, guess what we have? We have resurrection power. Here's how it's put in Ephesians chapter one. I pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power, the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. And I love this next line. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. That resurrection power that said, get up, Jesus, come on back to life. That resurrection power that has put Jesus right now, his name is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, not only in this age, but also in the age to come, and that resurrection power is flowing through us. So we're not emerging from front door conversations more unified than ever because of our strength or our skill set. Yes, God will use the tools that we have, but we are emerging more unified than ever because we have the resurrection power in us. That's the secret. We have the glory of Jesus giving us the power to emerge more unified than ever. And then in verse 23, Jesus says this, I am in them and you are in me and may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Here's what he says here. That word word perfect, it's actually talking about a goal. So I'm attaining a goal. One of Jesus' goals for us is that we would be unified. And it's amazing that these tough conversations that we try to avoid, either by kicking down the door and just coming in harsh and unfiltered, or by meandering around to the back door, these tough conversations that we try to avoid are actually the very tool that Jesus uses to unify us. Isn't that amazing? That whether the conversation is coming at you because the enemy's attacking you, because that happens. Well, if that's the case, well, what the enemy went for evil, God can turn into good. 
or whether just God is giving you an opportunity to grow in unity and he's put that conversation in front of you. Either way, he can, through his resurrection power, allow us to emerge from front door conversations more unified than ever. And there's two things that we can't miss, two things that are repeated. And in fact, if you go back to verse 21, at the very end of it, the last line, and may they be in us so that, I encourage you, if you have your Bible or Bible app, highlight, circle that, circle to my Bible, so that the world will believe you sent me. And then down in verse 23 at the end, it says that the world will know, and it's missing the so, but I've circled that, that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Here's what this is telling us. The stakes are extremely high in this because our unity points people to Jesus. Our division pushes them away. The reason it matters if we're unified is because our unity points people to Jesus. But when we are divided, that pushes them away. Here's the reality. The church, we should be the community that the world craves. So often, people that don't follow Jesus, maybe some of you look at churches and you go, man, I don't really want to be a part of that because they're divided and they've got this little sect and they don't like this. And then, you know, they got all these little fissures and tremors and divisions going on. And here's what should happen. People should look at the church and go, oh my goodness, like all my life I've been, I've had this longing for community and you've got it and you've got it. And all of you together, you're, you're come together, moving in the same direction. You're working hard to make each other's ideas come true. You like being around each other. Man, you have the community that I've craved my whole life. That's what should happen. And that can happen if we will let Jesus reorient our minds around this goal, that we would emerge from front door conversations more unified than ever. And look, if you're here and you don't follow Jesus, the first step for you is to follow him. Again, just to reemphasize, like the secret isn't that we're incredible or anything in us. The secret is that we have the resurrection power of Jesus giving us the strength to do what looks impossible. So if you don't follow Jesus, we're going to have someone from our prayer team beside this door. And we just invite you to go have a conversation with them about what it would mean to follow Jesus. Or perhaps you want to follow him and you can just tell him, Jesus, <laughs> You died and you rose again. Forgive me and give me a relationship with you like I'm yours. And then please go tell a person from our prayer team so that they can celebrate with you. And for those of us that already follow him, one simple challenge for this week that's rooted in this observation that I saw as I was reading through this, I'd never realized this before, but do you realize that Jesus didn't give us a command to be unified? and said he prayed for us to be unified. It's like, well, why didn't you just say, hey, be unified? Instead he prays. I think it's because he knows that we can't fulfill any type of command unless we have his power flowing through us. So Jesus says, I'm just gonna go ahead and pray for it. So why don't we follow his pattern and pray for unity? So challenge for every single one of us is that for the next seven days, we would just pray this simple prayer. It's gonna be on the screen. I encourage you to take a picture with your phone, write it down. 
Maybe you set a reminder on your phone right now that, hey, 8 a.m. every morning, I'm praying this prayer. Noon, at work, when the bullets are flying, when it's going crazy, I'm praying this prayer. Hey, when I put the kids down for a nap time, that's when I'm praying this prayer. But we would just pray this prayer for the next seven days. Jesus, lead me to emerge from front door conversations more unified than ever. Jesus, lead me to emerge from front door conversations more unified than ever. Because the stakes, man, the stakes are so high. We're either gonna be pointing people to Jesus by our unity, or we're gonna be pushing them away by our division. And so, let's be a church. Let's be a church that showcases the kind of community that the world craves. And let's start being that kind of church just by simply praying that simple prayer. And some of you may know about Unified that's coming up, and it's our opportunity to become new members. And you may wonder, well, why do you call it Unified? Well, because Zach Camp here named it. Go, Zach. Good job. When he was one of our original creative directors. Good job, Zach. But the reason that really the Holy Spirit led Zach to call it Unified is because when you commit to being a member of public church, you're committing to unity. That we would come together to point people to Jesus. So look, if you want to come and be a part of us and and commit to being that member and commit to unity, June 9th and 23rd, RSVP, so that we have childcare for you and we're going to have a great lunch. But for those of us who are already members, for those of us who have been here for a while, let Unified, every time it comes up, be a reminder. Let its very name be a reminder that we should be a church that showcases the community the world craves. And you may still be sitting here going, man, this seems just impossible. But like, how would I do this? And you may think, look, the, the kind of tough conversation that I'm gonna have to walk through, it feels like I'm gonna be stepping into fire, a fire that may just absolutely consume me. And that's why we're gonna sing this last song that we all need. And so I just wanna go ahead and tell you, I invite you to reflect, take a moment, But when you're ready, just stand and sing this song. It's called Another in the Fire. And I love that it's just telling us that front door conversations can feel like a fire. But when we're in them, guess who is with us? Jesus. There's another in the fire. There's another in the water holding back the seat. And then I love the last line in this song. The last line simply says this. I'll count the joy come every battle because I know that's where you'll be. I don't know about you, but I usually don't look at battles and go, ooh, yeah, joy. I usually don't look at tough conversations and be like, come on, I'm excited. But the challenge is, as we pray this prayer, Jesus, lead me to emerge from front door conversations more unified than ever, that we would actually begin to look forward to them because we know that in the battle, he's in the fire with us, he's in the water holding back the sea, and that when we step in the battle, we can find joy knowing that he is always with us. His resurrection power flowing through us. So we need this song. So when you're ready, let's stand and sing as we start this journey towards being a church that grows in unity every time we have a front door conversation. Jesus, thank you for praying for us. It still blows my mind that you did that. And I pray that through your resurrection power, that your prayer for us would come true. 
And help us just to start this journey by simply singing this song and knowing that we can find joy and count it all joy in the battle because we know that's where you'll be.